The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Our teens need more support and encouragement than ever before. We need to show them that there are so many accomplishments in their lives that are just waiting to be discovered. This is the Dr. Stem Show with Dr. Stem Malatini. We want teens today to feel valued in their schools, homes, and in the community. The Dr. Stem Show will give the voiceless a voice and the hopeless hope. Now, here is Dr. Stem. Welcome, welcome to our very first segment of the Dr. Stem Show. This is Dr. Stem Matlatini, actually from Boston, Massachusetts, because I know there are lots of you listening from all over the world. Before I tell you about the Dr. Stem Show, let me welcome a very special guest that we have today, Ms. Nodika Francis. Welcome, Ms. Francis. Thank you very much, Dr. Stem. Thank you, and it's so good to have you here. Now, let me take a minute. I just want to define what this show is all about. This show is focused on enriching lives through empowerment, inspiration, and education. It's about teenagers, their parents, and the community. I know most people will say, why teenagers, you might ask. Well, the first thing is I am a psychotherapist myself. I work with teenagers. That's primarily my work to do counseling with teenagers, their parents, and the families in the schools, uh, you know, professionals that work with teenagers. That's the work that I do. The other thing is, you know, in today's society, being a teenager is not the same as, you know, way back in the days. It's both a wonderful time and a challenging time as well. The best way that I can describe what the segment is about and why the teenagers, I think I'll take a synopsis of Nodika Francis, who's our guest today. She has a book, Rockstar Teenage, you know, Teenage, that she wrote. We will talk more about the book in the later segment of our program. But she says the teenager, they have anxieties about fitting in. They have anxieties about being cool, being liked by boys, being accepted for who they are. Well, I should add there that, you know, even the boys have anxieties about being liked by girls. They expect, you know, expected to excel in school. Their parents want them to do well. They want to establish their independence. And at the same time, guess what? Their bodies are changing. They're having all these different emotions that are going on within them. That makes it a very delicate um, balance to act on. And unfortunately, there's no book that says this is the way that you have to go through your teenage years. Neither is there a book that says as a parent, this is the way that you should parent your teenagers. So that's where we come in. 
The Dr. Stem Show will be profiling different guests from different aspects of life that will come in and talk about how to take care of teenagers, how to communicate with teenagers. We have professionals that will come on. We even have people that will come in with experiences of their teenage years because I believe that knowledge is power. And once you know, you'll be able to, you know, I mean, choose what works for you. So my hope is that the show will empower you, educate you, motivate you, and inspire you both as a parent, the teenage yourself, as well as the people in the community that works with the teenagers. Now, let me tell you a little bit about our special guest today who I'm very grateful for, for accepting the very first challenge of being the first guest on the Dr. Stem show. Her name is Nordica Francis. She lives in New Jersey, right here in the USA, and she currently works as a learning consultant for one of the state's largest schools in the school district of New Jersey. She holds a master's degree in educational administration and supervision, and she's also certified as a learning disability teacher consultant. Ms. Francis has had her first major literary work. She's an author. She published her first book in 2009. She's now devoting time to writing material that is geared towards helping young women adopt wholesome, happy, successful, and lifestyles, which is the very reason why I wanted her as the first you know, guest that we have, because that's our goal, to make sure that these teenagers, all the teenagers out there, that they grow up to be wholesome, happy, successful, and to have, you know, successful lifestyles. So before we start, Ms. Francis, yeah, I, know, I know when I was reading your bio, I was thinking, what is a learning consultant? There might be people out there that are wondering the same thing. Would you tell us just a little bit of what a learning consultant is? Oh, sure, Dr. Sam. A learning consultant is someone whose knowledge base is in educational theory and educational strategy and also educational curriculum. Okay. And learning consultants usually, not usually, but sometimes work as independent contractors, but usually they're in school districts, they're attached to school districts, and they work as part of a child study team. And in that setting, they get to work with children who have been referred for having some kind of learning trouble. It is their job then to determine if that learning trouble is indeed a learning disability or if it's learning trouble that's situational. A child might not be performing because of something that's going on right now, death in the family, divorce, just having moved, or it could be a relearning disability, in which case the, the screening would provide that information, and then we would proceed to go through all of the steps and eventually have to write an individualized education program for that child based on the learning disability. So that means every parent that will have all those things that you listed that might be struggling, you know, with learning or things at home, they have every right to obtain services of a learning consultant? Absolutely. They can come through the school. They don't necessarily have to seek out an independent contractor. They can come through the school and explain that there is trouble learning with this child and then have the school proceed from there. They will take it to the child study team, and then they will go from there in terms of evaluating the situation to see if it is indeed learning a learning disability, because not all learning trouble is indicative of a learning disability. 
You're right. You're right. Well, let me just clarify for the listeners out there that this service is only available in the United States as we're speaking now because uh, she is based in the United States. So for the other countries, you might want to find out in your schools what uh, a learning consultant is because I'm sure they might have that service where you can have your child evaluated as well. They so, probably do. Some, some places call them uh, learning, learning specialists. Some call them curriculum specialists. There might be the service just under a different name. Oh, I see. Today's topic I know is very interesting, so I'm, I'm so happy that you're going to be helping our listeners as well as myself on this topic because the topic today is the conversation that every parent should have with their teenager. So my first question to you is, what is this conversation that every parent should have with their teen? The conversation parents or every parent should have with their teen is the one that lets them know they're good enough exactly as they are, and that they're worthy. What that does is automatically set up acceptance of the child, and that's very crucial for teens. Teenagers are seeking to be accepted by their school friends, by their parents, by everybody just about, because they're exposed to everything in society. It's a rough time for them, and with all the influences coming at them, they're no longer your five-year-old who's just following your guidance. You're right. They're getting all kinds of influences from friends at school, from their own experiences, from the media, whether that's print or electronic, just tons of things. So there's a tremendous amount of self-doubt that arises during that time, mm-hmm. and it's attached to all that figuring out of themselves. And so they need to have someone there who establishes that they're good enough, and that conversation needs to be ongoing and consistent. They need a, a real ally and parent. This is what I think they're looking for at this very, very crucial time of their life. You know, it's interesting you say that, but as you say that to say, well, they're looking to be, you know, uh, acknowledged and, and accepted as teenagers. I'm thinking as a parent out there, they're thinking, well, how do I even start that conversation that, honey, you are actually an acceptable person? You know, I mean, would they be receptive to that? How would they start that conversation? They will be receptive to it. I don't think you can just throw it at them out of a clear blue sky. Okay. It, it needs to come in gradually. They need to see actions that go along with that, that, you know, simple things that would tell them they're good enough. You take the time when they come home and they're explaining their day at school to look at them and listen to them as opposed to continuing to text while they're talking. Or you sit down with them at the dinner table and you want to know specifically if you could spend some time with them later or on Saturday or whenever that's coming up. And these little gestures give them a clear indication that they're valuable to you. They walk into the room and your eyes light up. They know you're happy to see them. And then you tell them in words, I'm happy you're here. You're important to me. You know, you're important to me. It all adds up and eventually that trust is established. It also helps, I think, if, if parents share some of their own lives. There's nothing wrong with a parent coming home and saying, you know, I had a really rough day today. You know, my boss admonished me for this or that, or I had to do a presentation, and at first I was very nervous going in, but then it it, it went well. So children know that the parents are also having their own struggles, and they can share things like that. And then the rapport is built and the trust is established, and I think they can go from there. I like that when you Thank when you, you spoke about the body language that you know when the teenager comes in that they need to see that he, you know the parent is relaxed and they are happy to see them rather than that you know look that says you know what did you do or it's ready for confrontation so I, I really exactly. like that exactly. yeah 
I really like that. In addition to that, I think, you know, based on my experience, you know, because I've been doing this for over 20 years now working with teenagers, I think it's critical and crucial for the parents not to you know, feel intimidated by their teenagers, not to feel scared to be able to sit down and talk to their teenagers, or if they're not ready to talk to you at that time when you start that conversation, to just know that, you know what, it's probably not a good time for the teenagers. So I, I think you say that very well so that the parents are not, you know, caught up in, oh, my God, I really have to talk to my teenager. About yeah, it can always wait. It can always wait a minute. They're in your house. They are your children. There will be another opportunity but you do have to look for these opportunities so that at the appropriate time you make that move and it's an acceptable move on the part of the child. So getting to understand the teenager, because I think it's important that they understand what the teenager is going to, why is it so important to do that, you know, to let that teenager know that they're good enough? Because it comes down to a question of confidence in the end and high self-esteem. Yeah. And we know that that could filter into everything. It, it starts in as, as soon as they're children, as soon as they can identify that they're a separate person from all other individuals, they start wondering in a strange way. They might not have that language if they're good enough, if they're measuring up, if they're like the others. And it's, impo- it's possible that they can have a lot of self-doubt, even at that young age. It's teenagers when all of their hormones are coming in, and we're not even talking about hormones. That's a different show. Mm-hmm. They they come in and they, they do want to know because they're exposed to their friends at school. They're comparing themselves a lot. They need to know because their confidence in the end will determine what kind of adult life they have. They're right at that stage where they're trying to establish who they are now and yes. who they're going to be as adults. So the quality of their adult life could be largely based on how they feel about themselves as teenagers. I always think of... Um, of confidence and, and self-esteem is water. That's the analogy in my head. Hmm. Because water will seep into everything and permeate everything and take the shape of whatever it's in. You throw yes. it into a big square pool, it's square, you put it in the balloon, it's round, you put it in the crack in the ground, it's long and jagged. And so I think confidence permeates a life the same way, confidence and self-esteem. And so it's important for kids to have that. It's really important for kids to have that. You know, as you are talking, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking of that um, saying because what I usually tell the parents is, you know, your teenagers, they are bound to do more of what you do. They live by example. They sure so, do. Yeah, so if we're talking about self-esteem and confidence, they are looking at you as a parent to see how confident are you in every environment as a parent and what is your self-esteem like as a parent rather than what you say. So, you know, and I know most parents will say, well, you know, just do as I say and not as I do. But the honest truth is with teenagers, they're actually watching what you're doing more than what you're saying, right? They actually are watching and they're forming attitudes and they're forming opinions and they're, they're making themselves into a kind of mini you at some mm-hmm. point. And so that's very important to exhibit your own self-confidence and your own self-esteem. And they were talking about especially the same sex, sex parent as uh-huh. being the prime example or the, or the principal role model for a child. And that is the very truth. We look at the very superficial things like the little girl toddling around in her mother's high heels, but it's not just these little things. It's <laughs> yeah, everything right. else that they're looking at and learning from. And so as parents, we have to be very careful about what we model for teens. 
So now that get co- gets complicated because, as you know, in, in this day and age, like most parents, they're single parents now. You know, there are divorces that are high-rise in divorces, and some are just, you know, single parents that were never married. So if we go by that, you know, um, saying that you just said about the same-sex parent being the one that, you know, will be prominent in making sure that they build the self-esteem, how does that happen if you are a female raising young men? Well, the reality is that any parent can provide that sense of well-being and that okay. that sense of, of being a good example to a child. It can come from either parent. But yes. they were just making the point, and I think this comes from the research of Louise Samways, who was also a psychologist. Okay. She was just making the point that this is the strongest role model. It doesn't mean that the opposite-sex parent cannot model what she used was a number of examples showing, and in fact, I think this was also part of another research, the Young Prince Youth Index or some other kind of research like that, research survey, mm-hmm. was that boys who did not have a male role model were 50% more likely to abuse illegal drugs. So they based it more on what could happen if the, if the model was not there. But it isn't, that's not to say that the opposite parent cannot do the modeling. If there is a single parent household and that duty falls on that parent. You're right. Whether or not, right. you know, they're raising a son or a daughter. And I think it's it's also, you know, one part where we can emphasize the use of resources. Like, you know, I'm from Zimbabwe, from Africa, so we use, okay. you know, um, relatives. If, if I'm a female raising a male, then I'm going to use my uncles, cousins that are males as role models for my son. And if you're a female, you use the aunts, uncles, you know, people in the church as resources. Absolutely. So that, yeah, so that you don't do it on your own and think, yeah. well, you know, I'm just a woman. I can't do it. I think, you know, it's good to emphasize that as well because I yeah. like that point. Yeah. And it really doesn't have to be a biological parent because working in the educational system, I find myself in a parenting role quite a bit. And so that model can come from a parent, can come from a teacher, it can come from a mentor, from a Girl Scout leader, from anyone, from any adult in that child's life, really. You're right. You're right. I know. Even for me as a counselor, <clears throat> I find myself being in that role as well most of the Absolutely. time. You don't even see yourself falling into it. But, yeah, we do. We do. Absolutely. With this, so it's not up to, you know, to the parents to, to do that on their own. I mean, it, it's also, you know, one of those where they say it takes a village to raise, you know, a child. Yes, they didn't just throw that out there. They've proven that that <laughs> does actually work. <laughs> that actually does work. Yeah, because I was thinking about it and thought, you know what, this is this is exactly where that comes into where it takes a village to, you know, to raise a child. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a break. And we will be back to continue with this conversation. We are talking about the conversation that every parent should have with their teens. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Have you ever felt that it's time to get out of the box? Why are you putting that project off? It's already there in your mind. What are you going to do today to change your life tomorrow? Listen for Live Your Life with Melissa Brown. Get ready to expand the capacity of your heart and mind. Move yourself beyond the mundane and get prepared to do what you've been called to do. There is no time like the present, and the whole world is waiting for you. Tune in Monday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
Are you ready for real change in your life? Deep down inside you is a magnificent being just looking to break free. Tune in to Manifesting Abundance with Deborah Loran and Jim Del Vecchio. Most people need to make some minor adjustments in attitude and behavior to achieve alignment with their inner being. Jim and Deborah will help outline these changes and give you the steps you need to create some major improvements in your life. Listen for Manifesting Abundance Thursdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We let so many outside factors mold and shape our lives. Technology, instant delivery. We live in an on-demand world. What's happened to the compassion, the kindness, a better pace? Listen to Might Radio with host Gabriella Von Ray. We'll bring that kindness and compassion back to our world. Our guests come from around the world and we'll discuss what's being done and what we can do to bring our lives back to order. Might Radio is broadcast live every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to the Dr. Stem Show. To reach Dr. Stem or her guest, please call into the show at one 888 Three four six nine one four one. That's one triple eight three four six nine one four one. If you prefer, you may send an email to drstemmalatini at yahoo.com. Now back to this week's show. Welcome back. We are being joined today by Nodika Francis, who's helping us with the discussion of the conversation that every parent should have with their teens. Thank you, Dr. Francis. As we, continue, to be here. Yeah. as we continue, I, you know, I, I heard you talking about twins and teenagers because I know, um, having looked at your books, that you talked about twins and teenagers. I'm thinking, is she talking about twins like, you know, having twin children or what does twins mean? No, the twins are that age group between 10 and 12. They're right in between where they're considered children. Their, their age numbers are still in single digits, and they're not yet teenagers. They're not yet 13. So typically that group that's between the childhood stage and the teenage stage is considered the tween group. They're between the two groups. So they're not, they're not 1 to 9, and they're not 13. They're 10 to 12 generally. So when we're talking about, um, like, the system, the school system here in the United States, we're talking about the tweens being the ones in the middle school? Just about the middle school. They're in fourth grade, fifth grade, going into the middle school. It should be considered six, seven, and eight. And, you know, the, the, the teenage problems start with that age as well. You're right. They certainly with do. The and you know what? It's scary, but they seem to be starting younger and younger. Yes. Yes. So the twins, for you know, those of you that are listening in, the way that it's spelled, because I know sometimes with the pronunciation, it's actually spelled T-W-E-E-N-S. Twins, yeah, which is between, but they Absolutely. just took out the twins. Absolutely. That was very creative. Okay. Yeah, so we're talking about... <laughs> So we're, we're talking about twins and teenagers' confidence and self-esteem for their overall success, as you mentioned. Why is that? Well, the thing is this, and this is why we want parents to really do that good enough talk with, parents, with children. The thing is that children believe what adults tell them about themselves. Yes. And there's no place where that's, that's more so than between parent and child. Teachers are next in line for that. 
children believe what teachers tell them almost as much as what, as what their parents tell them. And so it's very important to have that talk with them because that will build good self-image in children, whatever the, the parent tells them or whatever the adult in their life tells them about who they are. So it's important to tell them good things about themselves. And, you know, you're, you're right, because then as as I listen to the teenagers that I've worked with, you know, for years, most of the time when they get frustrated, the thing that they are talking about the, the most is you should see what my parents do. They're telling me one thing and they're doing another thing. So it's like, OK, why is it not good enough for me? And yet it's good enough for you. Yes, yeah, so we're back to that <laughs> modeling again. You so know, we do you have, they have to model what they talk about. You're, you're right. You're right. In fact, talking about that, the biggest grievances that um, teenagers, you know, have about their parents, you know, which is based on research and experience as well. I, I'll tell you some of the things that, you know, I have heard and I have read in the research that I have do. The teenagers complain all the time that they're not given enough credit for doing good. If they bring in A's and B's at home or if they do good and they clean up and nothing is said or a little bit is said when they have done good. The other thing that they talk about is, you know, their parents are trying to live, you know, vicariously through them. When I was a teenager, I didn't do it that way. We didn't go through what you're doing. I never talked to my mother that way. That actually irritates the teenagers more than you can ever know. (laughs) It actually actually does. They really just don't want to hear it. They want you to validate them, and they want you to model positive behavior. And, you know, there are times when you're going to have to to levy a reprimand or you're going to have to to voice some disapproval about something. But Mm -hmm. then we must remember that there are no wrong children or inappropriate children. You have wrong behaviors, and you have inappropriate behaviors, not children. The kids themselves are essentially good, so they have to be reminded all the time because kids have a way of, of taking on blame for a lot of things. Kids' parents get divorced and they think it's their fault. How is that their fault? It's not. I know. But because right. they take so much onto themselves, yeah. we need to make it clear that this is this and that is that. You are this good person. That behavior was not so good, and I would like you to change that. Because if kids don't have good self-esteem, they wind up, not making good choices for themselves and not achieving what they really want in life or what they can achieve because they just don't feel good enough. They don't feel empowered. So the whole purpose is to empower them so they could go on to have these successful lives, lives of of happiness, the same things we as grown-ups are striving to have. And, you know, one thing I think one of the problems that happens is most parents will wait to talk about, I never used to do that as a, uh, you know, as a teenager, or I never did that to my parents when I was a teenager. They wait until it's in the heat of the moment when there's conflict between them and the teenager. And at that moment, because it's so heated, they are both angry at each other, or the parent is angry at the teenager. I think that's why it, there's a misconception of, I hate it when my parents tell me about how it used to be when they were young, because if it's talked about when there's no conflict and they're laughing and there's a more relaxed atmosphere and say, you know, let me tell you about the times that we were teenagers, what we used to do, you know, and not all the good, because we all were bad at some point. And that's you a know? great point you're making. That's a great, great point. Point you're making. Yeah. If there is something a parent is upset about, there needs to be some time between experiencing that and addressing that. Yes. Some parents might need an hour or two, some might need a day or two. You know, every case would be individual, but it, it, there must be some space 
between what the child does and, and the way you address it so that you don't lash out and say, I was a good child growing up. I don't know what's wrong with you. Can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Can't do that. And, and, and I think it will be another show on another day because then part of it is, you know, being in this country or whatever country you're in, it, it's also not easy as a parent because then there are other stressors that are stressing people out. By Absolutely. the time they come home, the dishes are in the sink, the house is not cleaned, there's nobody that has cooked anything. If you have, you know, a teenager, I started cooking when I was seven years old. So, you uh-huh. know, but yeah, so I mean, if they come home, that's another time. I think, you know, to talk about those stresses and how, as a parent, you can separate the two, the stress that you've had at work or, you know, that you're having in your relationships, you know, on the outside so that you can become that role model that we're talking about. But let me just, you know, go ahead and tell you another thing that, you know, the the teenagers have complained about, that their parents are overprotective and that they are too controlling. Which is probably, yeah. you know, um, discussing, you know, what we've just talked about, that, you know, at, at that point when they are upset with them, that's when they become, I'm grounding you for two weeks for something that, you know, when you hear about it, it's like, isn't two weeks a little bit too harsh for somebody yes. to be punished yeah. for that, right? And that's a hard one to negotiate or to navigate because it's different for every parent, it's different for every yeah. child. Parents have to kind of gauge the personalities of their children to see what kind of of thing is more appropriate or most appropriate for them. It's, it's not a cookie-cutter kind of thing. Every punishment is not for every child. Every situation does not warrant the same kind of handling by the parent. It's, it's a very tricky thing, very, very tricky thing. I don't know that they have very specific things for parents on that, except to say, take a minute, step back, always keep in your mind that this is the child, the child who is a good person, who is a worthy person, and kind of go from there, and and later when you calm down, then talk about the problem. But what they are looking for, in addition to that, these kids, what they are looking for is a structure, and they're also looking for boundaries. So I think, you know, if if, if something like that is going to happen where, you know, if a child comes home after 6 o'clock and your policy or what you want them to do is not to come home after 6, I think before they break that rule, it needs to be talked about. Honey, if you come home after 6 o'clock, you know, this is what's going to happen, rather than they come home after 6 and all of a sudden everything breaks loose because they haven't come in on time as expected. So I find that to be something that's very, very difficult, you know, for a lot of teens as well, to have no structure so that when they do something, that's when they get to hear, oh, by the way, I don't want you to hang out with this person. By the way, I don't want you going there. It's like, wait a minute, when did you decide that? Yeah, a lot of these things have to be put in place beforehand. You can't make up the rule on the spot. You have to have some things in place. There have to be certain expectations already established. So as part of that conversation... Sorry, I'm sorry. So, so I'm sorry. As part of that conversation, so I think you know that's part, part of that of conversation, the conversation. Yeah, they need to talk about before. Yes, and that's why we see the conversation is ongoing because there are different aspects of that conversation. There are just things that will have to be in place beforehand. You cannot, at the moment, decide this is no good. I will ground no. you for a month, and you, you don't know, want I to just... ground a child for a month because he stayed out 15 minutes beyond his curfew. The, the, the punishment has to match the crime, as they say. I just did one of the things that uh, is probably the number one reason why um, teenagers 
probably don't get along with their parents, which I, okay. I was going to let you know that that's the number one thing that I hear and that's the number one thing that I, I read about that they are not listened to because as you were talking, you know, and I apologize, I cut you off. And okay. that's usually happens a lot of times. You know, the teenager is trying to explain something and the parent just cut them off and say, well, I don't want to hear that. It's like, okay. Yes, that's that spontaneous spur of the moment lashing out and that's why we advise taking some time separating for a minute. You know, teachers do it in school all the time. They have the kid go to another room temporarily, go to another mm-hmm. teacher's room. They set these things up ahead of time. If there's this one child who is particularly difficult, they might yes. arrange with a buddy teacher, look, if this comes to this kind of situation today, I'd like you to hold on to Johnny four or five minutes while I cool off. Because teachers do have to bite their tongues almost to the point of bleeding sometimes. Because right. they can get pushed to the edge by a child and vice versa. There are children who feel pushed by the edge to the, to the edge by their teachers as well. So you have to get sometimes a physical separation in order for everybody to regroup and collect themselves and deal with the problem sensibly. I so respect that, and I want to make sure that we emphasize that part that you just said. The teachers also need time to regroup and also time to cool down, and I think it's the same for parents as well. When you feel, yeah, when they feel like, you know what, oh, you just got on my last nerve, I think Mm -hmm. they need to be able to be adult enough to say, you know what, let me calm myself down, let me just take a breather before I can tell this child exactly what I'm feeling and what I'm thinking. And what they need to do. Yeah, because it minimizes that conflict as well. Because at the bottom of it all, we're all humans and we all have feelings of anger and frustration and all that kind of thing. And it's on both sides. It's on the child's side. It's on the adult side. Children have the right to explain themselves and to say what displeases them as well. But sometimes those two conversations can't happen right at the moment. You have to separate the two, give each group or each side time to regroup, and then approach it again. Approach it to resolve it, not just to express your anger, vent, and blow up, but express the disapproval to rectify it. So would you agree if I said the toughest thing about being a parent is learning when not to be a parent? Hmm. And what I mean by that is, you see, the discussion that we've been talking about, the conversation that every parent should have with their teens, right? If they're talking with their teenager and they get to a point where the teenagers, you know, sometimes they do have a point and they're getting a point and you are actually in your mind losing this conversation, because now the teenager thinks she knows or he knows better than you, at that point, most parents want to emphasize that, wait a minute, I'm the parent. So I tell you, and you take what I say, and that's what I mean by when I say it's tough knowing that, you know, there's a time to be a parent and there's a time that you just need to back off and not push on to, it's because I said so, and it's because I'm the parent. And as parents find that they can't get to that kind of reasonable behavior, mm-hmm. and they just want to say, you know, that's because I'm the parent, my advice would be to just kind of make a conscious effort to mirror what the child is saying. Just kind of say back what the child is saying so that the child knows that you heard what she, he or she was saying. And sometimes that's enough to, to dampen that whole volatile situation. Right. But kids take a step back as well because now they realize that you are listening to me, that my feelings do matter to you. And that too is validating them and saying that they're important enough to be heard. You're right. 
You see, as, as we are discussing this, I want to make sure that people understand that there's not going to be a cookie cutaway of communicating with your child, you know, for every parent. So as we get ready to take another quick break, I just want to remind all of the parents and all the people that are listening out there that this show will be bringing you more guests that will share their experiences, that will share theories that have worked and some that have not worked out there. So if, you know, there's anything that we're discussing today that you're not understanding, please feel free to email me at drstemmalatini, you know, um, at yahoo.com and I'll be able to bring more guests that will clarify those. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. Our nation's educational system is undergoing constant change as technology and society are redefining the system as we have known it. On Chalk Talk with Eric Hamilton, we provide parents with the resources they need to understand and become a part of the educational experience for their children. Through engaging guests, news, interactive discussions, and innovative ideas, it's everything that parents should know about school. Tune in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time for Chalk Talk on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in every week for the Wellness Lounge, a step further with host Desiree Watson. Our program empowers you to incorporate a wellness lifestyle into your life. Supported by a diverse selection of guests, including physicians, athletes, and education and government professionals, while helping you realize the connection between mind, body, and spirit, you'll achieve a personal edge in injury avoidance, stress management, and personal development. The Wellness Lounge, a step further, airs Mondays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Empowerment. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are tuned in to the Dr. Stem Show. To reach Dr. Stem or her guest, please call into the show at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you prefer, you may send an email to drstemmalatini at yahoo.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. We are doing our last segment of the conversation that every parent should have with their teens. We still have our special guest, Miss Nodica Francis, with us. So, Miss Francis, I know I mentioned at the beginning that you wrote Two books, and the book that I'm interested today that pertains to the program is your book that is titled Rockstar Teenage Girl Self and Confidence Building for Twin and Teenage Girls. Why a book for girls? They have the desire for approval, for acceptance, again, for validation. However, having worked with both groups for a very long period of time, I've seen that there's a fundamental difference in the way that boys and girls manage themselves, especially during those teenage years. And this goes back to the basics. The, the brains of girls and boys are wired differently, and so you have dramatic differences between the sexes. And these differences 
really influence the way they experience the world and the way they draw conclusions about the world as they experience it. And so I, I zeroed in on girls because obviously I relate more closely with them having been one myself and as a teenager. And um, I thought I could help them more at this point. I do see that they suffer more or suffer more overtly from the things that, that bother teenagers as a group. And so I thought I'd do a book for them. That's, a, that, that, that's very interesting. You know, tell me more about that. Well, boys and girls are different in, in many, many ways. For instance, uh-huh. boys like very structured play. They have lots of rules. They would spend a very long time making up the rules and picking a leader. Girls mm-hmm. are more interested in fluid games. And you will find as they play that they, they change the rules to accommodate themselves, accommodate particular situations. A girl mm-hmm. might even be the leader in this segment of the game and somebody else will get a chance. They're into more cooperation. And, and that's one of the big differences between them, so that when you find them exposed in school to things like competition and criticism, girls handle it more, more I don't know, sensitively, put it that way, and they suffer more from it. The same competition that gives a boy the opportunity to try again or to go do something else that he's mm-hmm. really good at would have a girl criticizing herself, analyzing herself, thinking she's not good enough, wondering where she went wrong, just a lot of self-criticism that girls engage in that boys don't usually engage in for some reason. Ah, that's quite interesting. And and I know, uh, you know, the first answer I was expecting from you when I asked why girls, I thought you were going to say, well, because I'm a female, so I know better. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and I actually have that somewhere in the book. I said something like, um, I know about teenage girls because I used to be one, ha ha, something, something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, because, you know, for some reason I thought, well, she definitely is going to tell me that. You know what? It's because I am a female. That's why I write that. And you know what? It, it probably could be right as well. And most men might have, you know, I, and I'll look out there to find uh, more people that have written about guys because that could be true. So with regard to the book specifically, yeah. I see that it's set up in two sets of principles. You have the personal principles and spiritual principles. Can you tell us more about that? Well, with the spiritual principles, I wanted to introduce that whole concept of spirituality, not the same as religion, spirituality. But that's a difficult concept, even for adults, to separate that religion from spiritual thing. And so I picked on or chose very simple ones, ones like concepts like happiness, mm-hmm. just to explain that happiness is not, it's your birthright. When you're born, you have the right to happiness, and it's not something that anyone can give to you or take away from you. It's something that's available to you just by your choosing it. And that's a concept that I didn't get until I was much older. So I'm thinking if we could introduce this to girls now, it it almost makes you want to cry. If you can introduce this to girls now in their teenage years, the quality of their life could be just so much better knowing that they just have to choose this happiness and they don't have to wait till somebody decides, decides, oh, you need to be happy, so I will give you this, so I will make you that that they can do this on their own. And then I also talk about something like uh, being of service to others, which is just a fancy way of saying helping where you can. Yes. These are the kinds of things I address in the spiritual kind of, of spiritual section of the book. I chose the simplest ones. In terms of the, the personal principles, yes. I dealt more with things that girls can relate to on a common sense and everyday level, the things that actually affect them in life where they feel that they have to match up with their friends and they compare themselves and 
this girl's better than me, or I can't get into the in-group, so I'm not good enough. And so we can go through kind of chapter by chapter with the first seven principles just to see I mean, what, they, yeah, what they're talking about. Yeah, if you can just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the time as well, just to summarize, you know, for our listeners out there what those personal principles are, that would be great. Well, the first one just says I'm good enough exactly the way I am. And at the end of the mm-hmm. chapter, it gives them a little space where they can write down the things that they love about themselves. And it can serve as a confidence boost for girls. You know, it's, it's a list that they can pull out and refer to. And I think by doing that little exercise at the end of every chapter, the girls get to set up a sort of blueprint for their own life. So they have things that can give them a confidence boost very quickly. And they learn that it's, it's, they can focus on the best aspects of themselves. Yes. They ask questions, am I a good listener, am I kind to others? These are qualities that they like in themselves and can use to boost their own self-confidence. In Chapter 2, where we talk about not comparing yourself because you have unique talents, there is also a place for girls to write down specific things they're good at. And here again, I want to advise parents to help your child identify what they're really good at. Kids yes. need to know that they're good at something and that they can excel in that area. In Chapter 3... Let's see what we talk about. And they actually have steps for developing their their good talents. In Chapter 3, they say that I can say no to negative behaviors and not worry that my friends won't like me or accept me, and I set my own standards. Very Very important to kids. They have to set their own standards. They have to think of these things beforehand, too, so that if they have to make a snap decision, they already know what their position is. I will carry myself like a lady. I will not use foul language. I will not, you know use drugs because friends want me to. They set their own standards for now their that, lives. That one, you just mentioned that I will not use foul language. What I find to be very disturbing is when I have young ladies that use foul language and I try to talk to them about it, it's amazing when I do family counseling and hear the parents, the way they speak. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Because they have more foul language than, you know, Anybody that I could know. So I, I, I think, you know, at some point, we, you know, we also need to emphasize for parents, like we said at the beginning, that, you know what, they are going to do exactly what you do. So if you are a parent that uses the foul language in your house, they're going to use it. They and it's not going to, yeah, it won't be acceptable in, the, in, in society and it will make it difficult for them. It will make it very difficult for them. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Now, in so chapter we, four, because I know you're trying to wrap up, or were you going to say something? Yes, sorry. yes. No, I was going to ask about number four, principle number four that you were going to talk about. Yes, it just says I'm confident. I'm not afraid to ask for what I want. I set boundaries to myself. I set boundaries to myself, and I teach others how to treat me. And that's, that's a big one, especially that part with teaching others how to treat me, because already we see a lot of teenage girls who are experiencing abusive relationships. Yeah. How do teenagers get to be in abusive relationships with boys, teenage girls? And I I suppose it can go both ways. I guess the boys could be abused also. But typically we see it with the girls. Yes. So at the end of that chapter, they have a list of things they will not accept and a list of things they will accept. And also there's a a section that outlines the stages of an abusive relationship so they can know it when they see it. It gives you the green stage, the red stage, the yellow stage, so they know what they're looking at. Because sometimes children are having experiences. They don't have any idea what's going on. You're right. They really don't. So they need kind of a guideline. And then number five deals with beauty, and I particularly like this chapter because yes. it says your beauty isn't about your hair, your makeup, and your outfits. It's really sure, about your values, your integrity, and your graciousness. Yes. Because it's what's the on kids the inside. Are, 
Absolutely. It comes from the inside out because kids are really bombarded by electronic media, by girl magazines, and they have these images of what makes them beautiful, and these are not the things. These are really not the things. It's their values. What do they attach importance to? Do they have integrity? Are they sincere? Are they hypocritical? You know, their graciousness. Can they pay a compliment without hating the other person? Do they follow the golden rule and do to others what they want done to themselves? That kind of thing. Too many girls are feeling pressure. Girls at 15 are already having breast implants, nose jobs, et cetera, et cetera, because they want to feel beautiful. They have that idea of what beautiful is, and they pay no attention to what's inside of them. And so this is what that chapter deals with. Okay. And has them make a list specifically. What are two values I have, two good values I have? Where does my integrity lie? How can I show my graciousness? What other quality do I have that yes. I can be proud of? So I, I like that chapter very much. Mostly because they're, they're under so much pressure to be beautiful according to some magazine standards. And I think that's the one that when, you know, when you ask the teenagers to look in the mirror and ask them who, they, who do they see and they cannot describe that, I think that chapter will help them to formulate who that person would be, that they look in the mirror and can say, I see this within myself, right? I should certainly hope so. Excellent, excellent. Okay. And uh, real quick, number six and seven, what are those about? Six, they do not determine their self-worth by other people's attention. <laughs> And, of course, they know what they engage in and, and don't engage in, that abuse changes the way they feel, and so they need to stay away from that kind of thing. Chapter 7 says this is a big one for parents because they're all very concerned now with their children on television, 24, on, not on television, on the Internet, 24-7. A lot yes. of them are being exposed to a lot of bullying on TV, now it yeah. used to, on, on the Internet. Now, it used to be that, you know, this had to happen in school or on the playground. Now children have access to each other or one another 24-7. And so that, you know, they, they follow them on Twitter or they talk about them on Facebook. And they're talking now about girls being more exposed to bullying than boys. Girls are more likely to report bullying now than boys because they, they're exposed to so much of it. So that chapter talks about cyberbullying, yes. and it talks about staying away from adult websites and keeping themselves safe from strangers they encounter on the Internet because there's just too much of that, and the girl bullying is a big phenomenon now. They have put it under that category of aggression, relational aggression mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. It's, it's not just, I'm going to hit you. It's gossip, it's mind games, it's violence, it's physical, it's victimization, it's harassment, and just plain old meanness. Just plain old meanness. And girls really, girls become suicidal if they think they can't get out of that cycle of bullying. They get get depressed, they become suicidal. The advice to girls in in this part of the book is that if you get into a situation on, on social media where you feel trapped like that, the temptation is to stay on and see who else is saying what about you or to defend yourself. But the best thing to do is to get off the site, like right. immediately. And if you feel it's a situation that's out of control, then you need to advise a parent or a teacher or some other trusted adult. Trusted adult. And, and I think that's why this topic was very important today, because then when we open up that dialogue and we allow the parents to be able to converse with their, you know, teenagers and the teenagers will have access to their parents that they can talk to them, it's easier for them to come and tell you that they're being bullied or something is going on within them because you'll be able to tell that this is not the same child, you know, on a daily basis with their emotions, their body language, the way that, you know, they talk back with you. So I, I think that 
you know, sums it up to say it's a, it's, it's a good thing for parents it's, it's to open thing. up. It's yeah. a good thing. And this is why I have a, there's a letter right at the front of the book that invites parents to read the book so they can discuss it with their kids. Kids are more likely to talk about something openly if they think it's subjective and it's kind of away from them. You know how children right. come to you yeah. and say, oh, Mrs. So-and-so, I have this friend, and this is happening to her, and that is happening yep. to her. And once they establish the trust, you find out that friend is really themselves that they're talking about. You're right. So if You're they right. can, if parents can read this book and bring up a topic, or if they're watching TV together and they talk about that topic, kids are more likely to open up now, like that than just... Where can they get just, this book? Then if we just say to them, oh, we're going to have a talk, you know, that does not quite work. Yeah. Especially if they're into something else. This book is available on Amazon.com and Amazon UK and, of course, at local bookstores everywhere. Oh, so if it's not in the bookstore, they can just go into the bookstore and ask the bookstore. And ask for it. Because it's in the bookstore's inventory and they can get it for them, even if it's not on the shelf. Okay. So for those people that are listening in, if you didn't get, um, you know, uh, the name of uh, the book, I will have, uh, you know, Nautica Francis information on the website so that you can be able to contact her as well. Because I understand you are a speaker as well, right? Yes. Okay, okay. You know what? I so enjoyed having a discussion with you. I have under, you know, two minutes left and I don't know if you could quickly give us, you know, at least one point, two points that you can give the parents today. The same here. Basically, remember that the kids are in the place now where they're establishing who they're going to be as adults and they need validation and they need an ally and they need to know they're good enough and that they can accomplish whatever they want to accomplish because they're worthy of it. Confidence builds competence, so help your child to identify something they're great at and build that to the point where they're as good at it as they can get. That confidence will seep into every other aspect of their lives. And very simply, talk to them. They can't be just glued to their cell phones and their iPads and not express anything. They do have a brain in between these headphones and in there (laughs) they have aspirations and they have dreams and they have things that bother them and things they want to talk about. So please talk to the team at every chance you get. Excellent. Communication is key. I just want to take this minute to thank you so much for being our very first guest on the Dr. Stem Show. I thank you very much for having invited me. It's a pleasure. And and I want to thank everybody that is listening in. Join us again next week on Tuesday. We will be back again with another topic that is dealing with your teenagers, the parents and the the community that these teenagers live in. That is the Dr. Stem Talk Show, which is going to be 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 9 to 10 GMT, and 1 to 2 p.m. in the Pacific Time. Thank you, and we'll talk again next week. Thank you for listening to the Dr. Stem Show. Please join us next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, and 9 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another enlightening show. Have a terrific week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 